Good morning, church. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? And it's also an exciting day as we kick off our annual Global Ministries Week. And as we do, I want you to consider a mission statement from a well-known American university. It goes like this. Everyone shall consider as the main end of his life and studies to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. John 17, 3. This institution was founded several hundred years ago, and as you might guess, its original purpose was to train pastors. To this end, the school made the formation of its students' character its highest priority. It mandated that all of the curriculum uh, come from a Christian worldview, and all of the professors were required to be Christians. Uh, As a result, on top of serving as a premier American academic institution, the university became a pillar of Christian distinction. It might surprise you, though, that this mission statement doesn't come from Wheaton College or Moody Bible Institute or Dallas Theological Seminary. Instead, it comes from Harvard University. Yes, Harvard. This might be surprising, of course, because today Harvard resembles anything but a pastoral training school or even a Christian university. Back in 1986, at the school's 350th anniversary celebration, Stephen Mueller, the former president of John Hopkins University, put it bluntly yet accurately, the bad news is that the university has become godless. And I dare say that things haven't improved over the last 35 years. In fact, uh, there are many at Harvard today who probably consider the fact that they are godless to be something of a good thing. But what we really need to understand here is that Harvard's shift from its mission didn't happen overnight. Instead, it happened long ago. In fact, just 75 years after its founding, a group of pastors became concerned about the school's direction, and with the help of a wealthy philanthropist by the name of Elihu Yale, founded another pastoral training school named, uh, can you guess? Princeton. No, I'm sorry, I'm kidding. It was Yale. Tragically, however, it didn't take long for Yale to follow in Harvard's footsteps, so that while today both schools are excellent academic institutions, they're also incredibly unhealthy spiritually. See, that's what happens to Christian organizations when they experience what's known as mission drift. They inevitably become spiritually unhealthy. In harmony, what's true for Christian organizations is also true for a church. A church has been given a mission by Jesus Christ himself. And when a church drifts from this mission, it inevitably becomes spiritually unhealthy. That's why this morning we're going to go to Matthew 28 to remind ourselves about the mission of our church. The mission of our church to make disciples. So uh, if you're not already on your way there, meet me in the very last chapter of Gospel of Matthew And while you're on your way, let me frame things in the terms of this series on a healthy church. Last week, we saw that a healthy church is one that is gospel-centered. Since the gospel is the only thing that brings salvation and transformation, a healthy church will be one in which the the gospel is, is the center and the focus of everything the church does. Today, then, we're going to see that the second mark of healthy church is disciple-making. 
A healthy church is one that remains laser-focused on its mission to make disciples. Now, uh, let me warn you of a danger we face as we look at a text that's known as the Great Commission. The danger is in the fact that most of us are very familiar with this passage, as it's one of the most well-known in the Bible. And the danger is even more acute if you've been a part of Harmony Bible Church for any extended period of time, because this passage has probably been preached from more times than any other in the history of our church. Uh, It's so central to our church that it's even embedded in our mission statement. And and this means, and we might be tempted to think that we've got it down and there's nothing new for us to see here. However, I will make the case this morning that this is a passage we have to come back to time and time again in order to recalibrate ourselves to our mission and to make sure that we don't succumb to mission drift. You see, if we don't regularly remind ourselves of our mission, instead of something, um, instead of remaining focused on making disciples, we'll locally, likely become focused on something else, uh, something like politics or social justice or the latest ministry fad, or maybe most likely on being content with safe, comfortable Christianity. And I realize that None of this might seem all that bad, but can I just tell you this morning, it's actually worse than bad. It's deadly. It's deadly because a church that gets off mission becomes sick, and a church that remains sick for too long ends up like Harvard and Yale. It ends up spiritually dead. And I'm not being overly dramatic here, because this is essentially what Jesus says to a number of the churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Most notably, the church at Sardis. So, so this is what Jesus says to that church. He says, you have this reputation that you're alive, but in reality, you're dead. You, you got a lot of good things going on. You got a lot of programs. You got, got a lot of maybe outward focus and all this kind of stuff. You got this reputation. Everybody thinks, oh, man, you're, you're, you're a great church. But I'm telling you, you are dead. You've gotten off mission. You got sick. And it got so bad that now you are dead. And Harmony, we, we do not want this to happen to us. It can happen to us when we don't want it to happen to us. And the way that we prevent it is by continually returning to our mission, recalibrating ourselves so that we keep laser focused on the task that Jesus has called us to. So while there might be little today that we haven't heard before, I hope we'll hear it with fresh ears and an open heart. I hope we'll allow God's word to recalibrate us today so that when we're done, we'll have a renewed passion for the mission our Savior has given us. All right, let's now look at the first, uh, sorry, the last five verses of Matthew. Let me set the context for you here a little bit. Uh, At the beginning of Matthew 28, uh, Jesus comes back from the dead. So he's been crucified, he's been in the grave for three days, now he's alive, he appears to Mary Magdalene and to another lady named Mary, and he tells them, hey, Now that I'm alive, I want you to go tell my disciples that I'm alive and then tell them to to meet me on this mountain in Galilee. And so the disciples travel to Galilee and there Jesus comes to meet them, to give them his final instructions before he ascends back to heaven. And here's what Matthew tells us. He says, verse 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's a lot that we could talk about here, but today we're going to focus on the what, the how, the where, the why, and the with, W-I-T-H, of our mission. So the what, how, where, why, and with of our mission, and we'll begin with the what. In verses 19 through 20, Jesus gives what appears to be four commands. He says, go, make, baptize, and teach. However, uh, in Greek, the primary verb is make, and the other three verbs tell us how to make. This means that the what of our mission is to make disciples. Now, a disciple, basic um, just explanation of what a disciple is, is that a disciple is a learner and a follower of Jesus. To be his disciple means to, to learn about him and then to take what you learn and to put it into practice as you follow him day by day. So what Jesus is calling us to do here is he's calling to us to produce people who know Jesus like we know Jesus and who follow Jesus like we follow Jesus. That's a simple explanation of what our mission is. And I want to say, really want to stress here at the beginning, and this is something I'm going to come back to over and over again. A key thing that we've got to understand is that this mission has been given to everyone who bears the name of Jesus Christ. Every Christian, every disciple, every follower, all of those terms refer to the same kind of people, refer to people in, in this room. So this mission to make disciples isn't just for super Christians, it's not just for pastors, it's not just for elders, for deacons, for staff members, it's for every single one of us. And I realize some of you are like, I have no idea how to make disciples, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. And then there are others of you saying, there's no way that I can make disciples, and I just want to encourage you here this morning, you can make disciples. Here's how I can say that. You can make disciples because your Savior has called you to make disciples, and he never calls us to do anything that he doesn't give us his power and his presence with which to do it. So I want to give you a simple illustration here today. I don't know if this is going to work or not. I had this uh, come to me yesterday. I was out running, um, and, and then I didn't go get an apple. And so this morning, 6.30, Hy-Vee, there it was, all right? Great time to go to Hy-Vee. There's nobody there. Actually, don't go to Hy-Vee on Sunday mornings. Get prepared to come to the worship, okay? But here's the thing. There's an old saying that goes like this, that in every apple, there is an orchard. In every apple, there is an orchard. And so, you know, if, if I were to, to cut this open, which I'm actually going to do here this morning, if I were to cut this open, this is my honey knife here, still got some remnants from the season on it, but um, yeah, not really, I don't think, I think I did clean it. But um, if you've got an apple, in the core, you've got all of these seeds, right? And if I were to take the core out, take these seeds, and then plant them in my yard, and if I was to be careful to cultivate it, eventually this apple could produce an entire orchard, a bunch of trees that would produce a bunch of, of fruit. And what you need to understand is that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, the, the gospel has implanted literally gospel seeds in you. God has borne fruit in your life. And if you will take those gospel seeds that have been implanted in you and that you will spread them and do a little cultivation, an apple orchard or an, uh, an orchard of, of souls, of lives, will be born from you. You will make disciples. Now, how do we do that? 
Well, that's what we're going to talk about now. So what is the how of our mission? Well, Jesus goes on and say this. How do we make disciples? We do so by going, by evangelizing, and by educating. So we make disciples by, first of all, going. If we're going to make disciples, we've got to get moving. Literally, what Jesus says here is that you need to get moving, all right? I'm alive, so you need to get moving. So, so in a real sense, if we're going to make disciples, we've got to move it, move it. Okay, we laugh at you, that it's serious, okay? Because because here's the thing. We've got to stop being the frozen chosen, and we've got to start being the mobile missionaries. Can, can I ask you this morning, are you moving in? Are you taking the gospel seeds that you have within you, all of us have them in us, and are we spreading those gospel seeds? Are we sharing the gospel so that others can become disciples? If not, one of the primary things that, that we want to get out of today is that we're going to get moving. All of us are going to get moving. And that leads to second. As we go, we're to evangelize. That's what's in uh, view with the word baptizing. It means to share the gospel, and then when someone believes, to baptize them is a sign that, that be, they become a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Quick side note here, by the way, if you are a Christian and you have not been baptized, you need to get baptized post-haste, all right? You, you will note here, Jesus says, go out, and you, you, need to, you make disciples by baptizing them. So baptism should follow on very quickly after a profession of faith. And I just want to say to you, if you've not been baptized, we would love to baptize you, and we would do it as quickly as possible. So please let one of your, your pastors or, or elders or one of our staff members know, and we'll get things arranged so that we can get you baptized soon and get you in line here with what Jesus says in Matthew 28. With that said, let me try to demystify evangelism a little bit. I know evangelism can, can sound daunting, but it's really just about gossiping the gospel. So we talked about gossiping the gospel last week. That's all that evangelism is. It's taking, okay, those truths that we talked about last week, the incarnation and the crucifixion and the resurrection and having conversations about these things with, with everybody that we come in contact with. This is why last week's message is so important. If we're going to make disciples, we have to know the gospel. Let me be clear. Someone becomes a disciple when they believe the gospel. So if we're going to make disciples, we have to know what the gospel is, and then we have to go and share it with our family, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with whomever. And listen, you, you don't have to be well-spoken. You don't have to know the gospel exhaustively. You don't even have to get everything exactly right. All that you have to do is you just have to share the core truths of the gospel courageously and repeatedly, and if you will, you will make disciples. So, so let's talk about this, this idea of gossiping. I don't know if you realize this or not, but we all gossip. Yes, women gossip, but you know what? Men gossip too. Sometimes men gossip more than women gossip. So the problem is, is a lot of times we gossip about the wrong things instead of about the right thing. And really the only thing that we should truly gossip about is the gospel. It's about the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so, so really in a real sense, you, you're just going to talk to people about what the gospel has done in your life and how it has changed you, your, 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 your future, your eternity, and you are sharing that good news with other people. So we go and evangelize. 
And then third, when someone believes, we educate them. Jesus says, you're to teach them everything that I have commanded you. Now, listen to what this means. It means that baptism isn't the finish line of the Christian life. It's the starting line of the Christian life. Baptism marks where the Christian life begins. And once we see that life begin in someone, we're to come alongside of them to help them learn about Jesus and apply his teaching to their life. Let me make a note to you, to you parents here for a second. One, one mistake that parents often fall into is this idea that they, they want to get their kids to the point of professing faith and being baptized, and then the, the real work is done. Can I just encourage you? That's only when the real work begins. Because we not only want our, our kids to come and profess faith in Jesus, but we want to teach them everything that he has commanded them so they continue to grow in that faith for the rest of their lives. And so this should be true for all of us, and that's why it's important for me to add here that if we're going to make disciples, then we have to be discipled. Can I say that again? If we're going to make disciples, we have to be discipled ourselves. In other words, we need people in our lives who are making disciples out of us. Listen, I'm here today because my dad and my mom discipled me, and then I had a youth pastor who poured into me, and then I had people in college who poured into me, and then I've had other pastors pour into me, and I still have people pouring into me today. I'm never going to get to the point where I don't need to be discipled. If I ever get to that point, we're all in trouble. We all have a need to be disciples. So, so this is why faithful corporate worship attendance is so important. It is so important for, for you to be here today so that I and our other pastors can disciple you. I am discipling you right now. That's my goal every single week. You need to make this a priority. There are no throwaway Sundays. And this is why our Equip You courses are, are so important. This is why our community groups are so important. This is why it's so important for you to be studying the Bible for two, with two or three or four or five other believers. You see, to make disciples, we have to be disciples. To help people learn about Jesus, we have to be learning ourselves. As Peter urges us in his second letter, we all have to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can I just encourage you here for a second? Do you realize this book isn't a suggestion manual? that this book and the commands that are found in it are that. They are commands. They are instructions. They are what Jesus is telling us to do. And if we actually claim that Jesus is not only our Savior but our Lord, if he is God come in the flesh, if he is the one that we say that we have given our life to, then when we see what his word has to say, then we don't really have any choice, but rather, yes, we are going to seek to obey it. Now, we're not going to obey it all the time. In fact, a lot of time, we're probably going to struggle to do, though. But the issue is, are we struggling? Is that what we are striving to do? And, and here's a big problem, and even in one of a, a church like our, our church, is that we have way too many of us who seem to live as if this is kind of a suggestion manual, and we can take and uh, choose, pick and choose between what we are going to follow and what we're not going to follow. And that's particularly true when it comes to what Jesus says here in the Great Commission. This commission is given to all of us. And yes, I know that you might not know how to do it. And yes, you might struggle to do it. But that's not the issue. The issue is whether or not we are going to trust Jesus and we're going to obey Jesus. So I just want to urge you on that here this morning. So let me, let me put it this way. Okay. Um, 
as we, we look at this here, the Great Commission, we're given the idea that it is all-consuming, that disciple-making is to be all-consuming. And, and it is supposed to be all-consuming, as indicated by the fact that Jesus uses the word all four times. And it's to be all-consuming because that's what it means to follow Jesus. It means to be all in with learning about him and obeying him and helping others to learn about him and obey him. You see, once we become a disciple, our our lives become all about Jesus. Not just a little bit about Jesus, but totally about Jesus. Jesus becomes the center of our lives and everything starts revolving around him. Let me put it this way. Before we were saved, our lives were all about us. We're at the center. But when we turn to Jesus and believe the gospel, he replaces us at the center, and now we strive to do everything that we do for him, to bring him the honor and the glory and the praise that he deserves because of the gospel, because he was willing to come and die in our place so that we could be free from serving Satan, sin, and self, and instead could be free to serve him. So, friends, this is Christianity. Christianity is being consumed with being disciples and making disciples. This is why our church mission statement says that we exist to bring glory to God by being disciples and making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is what it's all about. And if we're going to be healthy Christians in a healthy church, we must never, ever drift from this mission. Now, we need to move on and talk about the where of our mission. This is easy to overlook, but it's critical. So let's go back to our text. Verse 19 begins with Jesus telling us to go therefore and make disciples of what? Say it with me. We're to make disciples of all nations, of all nations. Now by nations, Jesus isn't referring to what we know as country. So he's not talking about like Germany, okay? And he's not talking about Turkey. He's not talking about Albania. He's not talking about Indonesia. But rather he's talking about ethno-linguistic groups that share a common self-identity within those countries and often across borders. So, for example, in Indonesia, there are 787 different people groups. One country, 787 different nations or people groups. And this means that in the Great Commission, Jesus isn't simply calling us to make disciples in Indonesia— He's calling us to make disciples among all 787 people groups in Indonesia. This is why, by the way, this year we plan to send one of our families to church plant amongst one of these Indonesian people groups. Of those 787 people groups in Indonesia, 240 of them are unreached, which means they have virtually no access, if any, access to the gospel at all. And so that's why this year we're going to try to do our part in in reaching these people groups by by sending one of our families over there to church plant amongst them. So consider this. 20 centuries after Jesus gave the Great Commission, there are still around 7,000 people groups in our world who have uh, have not been reached. So estimates vary, but um, one reliable source says that there are probably 17,000 people groups in the world. And yet as we sit here today, 2,000 years after Jesus gave the Great Commission, there's still 7,000 of them comprising over 3 billion people who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ even one single time. Can I tell you, that should make us terribly uncomfortable today. 
It should make us terribly uncomfortable the fact that, that, that we sit here in, in our nice, lovely, okay, uh, facilities that God has blessed us with, with, with all kinds of Bibles that we could have brought here today, with all kinds of access to the gospel, and, and yet as we do, there are three billion plus people in the world who are taking another 90 minutes towards an eternity in hell, separated from God forever, without any hope of it ever changing unless somebody decides to do something about it. Can I ask you, who's supposed to do something about it? We're supposed to do something about it. Every single one of us. You know, last week we talked about how the gospel is good news. We do believe it's good news, right? Like great news, the best news. But as Carl Henry once famously said, the gospel is only good news if it gets there on time. It's only good news if it gets there on time. And whose responsibility is it to make sure that it gets there on time? It's our responsibility to make sure that it gets there on time. And let me be clear that I'm not saying that we're all called to go to an unreached people group. In fact, many of us are probably not. Some of you are going, wow, thank you for that. But here's what we need to know, friends. I want you to hear this. Many of us are called to go. Many more of us are called to go than are currently going. And all of us who are not called to go are called to play our part. If we aren't called to go, then we're called to pray. We're called to give. We're called to partner. We're called to encourage. And most of all, and I really want you to get this, we're called to make disciples here so there are more disciples and more resources to send there. Here's how we can think about it. And can really boil what Harmony Bible Church is down to this statement. We make disciples here so we can send disciples there. We make disciples here so we can send disciples here. Can I just, just to go back to last week? This is what it's all about. This is what our corporate worship service is about. This is what our children's ministry is about. This is what our student ministry is about. This is what our community ministry is about. This is what our community groups are about. It's all about making disciples here so that we have people and we have resources to make disciples over there, wherever there may be. Now, why is this such a big deal? Because, friends, this is where history is headed. We've already sung about this today. We already talked about this today. Where is history headed? It's all headed to where we are all. People from nation, every nation, tribe, and tongue are gathered around the throne worshiping the risen Christ. This is what God is doing in the world. This is what the Bible is about from beginning to end. It's about the gospel going to the nations so that people from every nation tribe may come to know him and may be gathered around that throne one day. Can I just tell you, if your life isn't oriented around this mission, your life is askew. How do you like that statement? Okay? We got to do some hard searching this morning. Because it's really, really easy, especially as wealthy Americans, and that's what almost all of us are, wealthy Americans, that we don't get caught up in living this American dream, which is actually, for most of us, turning into a nightmare, and we reorient our lives around the mission that our Savior has given us. Can I, can I ask you this? Why did Jesus save you? 
A, he saved you because he loves you and he wants to spend eternity with you. And then B, he saved you so that you could be the means so he could save others. And here, here's the truth, friends. You are here today because somebody, uh, someday, long past, hundreds of years in the past, left their home somewhere else, some other country or else, and came to America, okay, and spread the gospel, started preaching, started discipling, and all the way down the line, here you are uh, today. And so we need to reorient our lives around that. But, but here's the thing. I realize as, as I say that, uh, what I really need to get to is I need to get to the why and the with. Because really I've just told you um, what we're supposed to do. And now I need to share with you why we're supposed to do it and how we can do it. All right? So, and here, here's what I'm going to say. We're going to talk about the why and the with. And in my experience, okay, uh, when people don't get the why and the with, they don't become disciple makers. But when they do get the why and the with, nothing can stop them from becoming disciple makers. To put it another way, disciple makers are people who are sold on the why and the with of the mission. So here's the all-important question when it comes to the Great Commission. The all-important question is why. Why should we make disciples? Well, the short answer is this. We make disciples because of who Jesus is. Think of it this way. We do what we do because he is who he is. Why don't you say that with me this morning, all right? We do what we do because he is who he is. One more time. We do what we do because he is who he is. In declaring in verse 18 that he has all authority in heaven and earth, Jesus is making the audacious claim that he is God. He's saying the resurrection proves that he's God, and being God, he has absolute authority. He has absolute authority in heaven, which means over all the heavenly beings, the angels, the demons, even Satan himself. And he also has all authority on earth. That means he has all authority over his people, over over believers, over us. And he even has all authority over unbelievers where he can call them to submit to him as king. And so here's what disciple making all comes down to. It all comes down to whether or not we believe Jesus is who he claims to be. Do we believe that he's God? Do we believe that he has absolute authority? Do we believe that he is the God who in love exerts his authority to bring lost people salvation? I want you to think about this from from Jesus' perspective. He has just endured the, the, the worst kind of death imaginable at the hands of people that he had created. So they had mocked him, they had beat him, they had nailed him to a cross where he suffered in in an imaginable horror, not only physically but spiritually greater than anyone ever has. And yet when he comes back out of the grave, he, he doesn't come in judgment, he doesn't come to exact vengeance. What does he do? He comes to offer amnesty pardon to those who had just crucified him, that just literally murdered him. How amazing is that? And what we need to recognize is that, yes, while we weren't the people who literally drove the nails into his hands, that we are the people who crucified him, that he, that we are responsible for his death. As Martin Luther once said, we all carry in our pockets his very nails, the very nails that nailed him to that tree, they are all in our hands. There literally is blood 
on our hands. Can I just say this to you? The degree to which you understand that truth, what God has done for you through Jesus on the cross, will be the degree to which you are passionate about making disciples. Because at the end of the day, what is making disciples about? Making the disciples is about worshiping Jesus. It's about seeing him. Listen, he, is there anything more glorious than Jesus? Anyone more glorious than him? How, how can it be more glorious than, than a God okay, who, who makes these, these people us and, and they rebel against him, they spit in his face, and yet he in love sends his own son to, to take the punishment that, that we deserve so that we can be free, so that we can have eternal life, so that we can live with him forever, that, that instead in giving us what we deserve, which is an eternity separated from him in hell. And listen, okay, here's the thing. A lot of people are like, oh, that, that healthy, that thing's kind of strong. But what, what, what really do people deserve when they have rebelled against a completely holy God? We deserve nothing other than eternity separated from him in hell. And yet, that's not what we get. We get an eternity with him in heaven. Is there anything more marvelous, anything more glorious, anything more wonderful than that? And friends, if your answer is, is there's nothing, then you will make disciples because you will say, Jesus deserves to be followed. Jesus deserves to be worshiped, and not just by me, but by everyone everywhere. That is the why. Now, that just leaves us with the with of our mission. Remember, W-I-T-H. Jesus concludes the Great Commission with these words, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word behold means look. It's a word used 40 times in the Gospel of Matthew to signal something we're to really pay attention to. And here we're to pay attention to the fact that Jesus promises he's always going to be with us as we seek to make disciples. So, so you know how I do this kind of thing, try to get your attention sometimes, like look, pay attention. I get that from this verse, okay? Because that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus said, hey, listen, I'm about to, I'm, I'm out of here, okay? I'm out of here. So here's what you need to know. I, I'm out of here, but I'm not out of here because I'm going to be with you to the end of the line, all the way to the end of the age. There will never be a time that I am not with you. Jesus knows that he's given us a daunting task, a task that, quite honestly, we aren't up to on our own. So if you're like, there's no way I can do this, um, you're in the right place here because you can't do it, not on your own. But you don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to do it on your own because Jesus has promised that his power and his presence will always be with you as you seek to make disciples. So, so listen, do you want to experience the power and presence of Jesus? And I would say we, we probably all want to. Here's how we experience the power and presence of Jesus. We do so as we live on mission to make disciples. Jesus promises a special within to missionary Christians, to Christians who seek to make disciples. And I want you to note again that Jesus says he's going to be with us to the end of the age, all the way until he returns. And here's what this means. It means if we want to give ourselves to what's going to last, to what will still be here a thousand years from now, to what will in a real sense be here forever, then we have to give ourselves to making disciples. Do you realize that there, there's only one thing that you can take into eternity with you? There's only one thing. And that one thing is people. So, so you can't take your house, you can't take your car, you can't take your toys, you can't take your money, you can't take your phone, your technology, you can't take any of it with you. 
And, and, and after you're gone, it's all going to burn. The only thing that's not going to are the people that you take with you into eternity. How do you take people with you into eternity? You do so by making disciples. By making disciples. And the great thing is that Jesus is guaranteed that he will give us his power and his presence in the here and now to do so. Let me say this. I know that you may have questions, but just, just stick in here with me. I like got three paragraphs, okay? Sometimes that turns into six, but we'll, we'll, we'll try to do three, okay? I know that you might have um, doubts. I know that you might have struggles. I know that you might have baggage. But I want to point out to you that these 11 guys that Jesus is talking about too here, they had all of those things in spades, so you might be thinking, you know, I am right now, I'm a hot mess express. These guys were a hot mess express. You have nothing on these guys. Oh, listen, the, the resurrected Jesus is literally standing in front of them, and they're still dowdy. I mean, look, he, like, like Jesus had a, a real physical body, a glorious body, a perfect body. They can hear him. They can see him. They can touch him. Remember that guy, I think his name was something Thomas, dowdy Thomas, right? And he was literally sticking his fingers in the, the scars that Jesus has. And yet he's still like, I'm not so sure about this whole thing. And, and yet, and, and yet, God, uh, Jesus used these guys to turn the world upside down. We only have to turn the, the page uh, to, to Acts, just a few pages, and, and we see that the religious leaders are so blown away by these guys who, who trusted Jesus and they obeyed Jesus. And they say, these guys, are come, they've turned the world upside down. And so here's what I want to say to you as, as we close. That, that we don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to have our game together. All that we have to do, like those first disciples, is trust Jesus, even in the midst of our doubts, and obey Jesus, even in our weaknesses. And if we trust Jesus and we obey Jesus, he will make disciples through us. Hunter Baptist Church, I want to say this to you. I believe in you. I really, really do. I believe that you can do it. Here's why I believe that you can do it. One, I'm actually seeing you do it. It's just, I'm blown away each and every week by how the Lord is working through our church. It's just amazing. And I look at it and say, there, there's only one answer to it. And it's just, he's just doing it. He's just doing it. But I believe it because Jesus says it. Jesus says it. And when Jesus says something, I believe him. Why? Because he came back from the dead. <laughs> he changed my life. He changed many of your lives. And I just have to tell you, and we could tell story after story, if he's changed some of your lives, he can change anybody's life. Okay? And it's true for me, but it's true for so many of you. And so what's impossible with us is possible with God. And so the question here isn't whether or not we can do it. The question is whether or not we're going to trust Jesus and we're going to obey Jesus. And let me tell you this, friends. There is no better place to be than trusting Jesus and obeying Jesus. Some of you, especially you young guys, you're like, life, like you're, you're really trying to grab onto something like, what, what, what is what my life going to really matter and, and really give you a sense of meaning? Get on mission with Jesus. Some of you older guys need that too. Some of you older ladies, some of you young ladies. We, we, we need to get on this mission because that's what's missing from our lives. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. I'm going to pray here in just a second. I'm going to give you time before I pray. 
And I want to encourage you to make a commitment that you're going to trust Jesus and you're going to obey Jesus and that you're specifically going to to, to make a choice, a decision that you're going to obey him in a specific area. Maybe that means joining one of our Barnabas teams, which support our field staff. Maybe it means getting into our nurture program, which we're, we're developing people to go to unreached people groups. Maybe it means, hey, I need to get into a community group or a Bible study. Maybe I need to take an equip you class. Maybe I need to just very simply start sharing the gospel with my, my children or my coworker or my neighbor or my friend. But it's going to be really, really easy for you to walk out these doors in just a little bit and just to, to allow this to go in one ear and out the, of the other. Because it's, Jesus even tells us this in his parable of the soils, right? So this is turning into nine paragraphs now, okay? But he says, the seed goes out, and one thing that happens is that the devil snatches it away. Don't allow that to happen. Allow it to take root in, in your heart and in your life. Because here's what, the last thing I'll say. There's, there, there is no greater joy than to see somebody come to faith in Jesus and to see somebody grow in Jesus. There is nothing better than that. So don't rob yourself of joy. Take action today.